Congratulations. You may be seated. God bless America. Indeed, it's not perfect. We still have our problems, but we're no longer slaves to fear because we are a child of God. And here at Bethel, we're an active church, so I wanted to tell you some of the things that are going on. There's a free, emphasize free, dove camp for ages 10 to 14. It begins at 9 a.m. on July the 3rd, July the 6th, July the 10th, 11th, and the 13th. You can register in person with Antoinette Joyner. Who doesn't know Antoinette Joyner? Well, if you don't, she's sitting right there. Raise your hand. I call her woman of God because if you've heard her preach, she can preach. Also, teens, there's going to be Camp Dixie for you for ages 10 to 17, July 17 to 21st. Dove students, Dove Camp students will be able to attend. So sign up with Pastor Michael Britt. Who doesn't know Pastor Michael Britt? Raise your hand, Pastor. There he is. So register with him. And for all you boys, where are the boys? Raise your hand, boys. Come on, Jakari, raise your hand. There you are. You like to wrestle? Yeah, of course you do. There's wrestling camp for you guys. Saturday, July 22nd, for boys ages 6 to 12. And for that, you register online under BethelDurham.com slash wrestling. And finally, every Friday night, we meet here for prayer, for prayer. And we pray for the needs, certain needs that we focus on, but also for the needs of the congregation. And how do we know what to pray for? You tell us. Because you fill out these cards that are in front of you in, in the pew every month, which is uh, last Friday, we purge them so they'll stay fresh and we ask you to fill out new ones. If you have a continuing prayer need, if you have something new for us to pray, fill out this card. And please, I ask you to date it Fill out this card, and I can guarantee you that your prayer need will be prayed every single Friday. And I invite you to come and pray with us and pray for these needs, because we need prayer, folks. There's a lot of needs in our congregation. Won't you come? Thank you all. God bless you. Hallelujah. It's been an awesome morning so far. So I'm just so thankful to be with you this morning in this place. God is already moving powerfully. Alex, if you would put up 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. This morning I'm preaching a topical sermon to you on liberty, but uh, at the same time you could call it don't be, don't be a stumbling block. That, that might as well be the, the title of the sermon. But again, it's a, it's a topical message on liberty. And this morning, we have so much to be thankful for as we celebrate our nation's 
heritage, the birthday upcoming. In fact, today, literally today, July 2nd, is 247 years to the day that our country announced its intent for independence. This is really the day that all the work was done. The final draft would be approved on the 4th, and that was the, the stamp day of, of the celebration. And it wouldn't actually even get officially signed until much later, August 2nd. But it's one of those, it's one of those things where, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm certainly one of the earlier or the older products of, you know, saying, okay, well, the schools aren't teaching it now. And I will tell you, studying for the sermon, so much of what I studied, I cannot bring to you. I'll only just read a couple of things when it comes to the actual nature of the country itself. But so much that I had looked into, I was like, wow, I wish I had got just some of this in school. You know, it would have been nice. But it is true what they say about the country and what they say about the way we were founded and certainly just the nature of the influence as I pray this morning, I'll be praying, God bless America, but I also know that as he does that, he blesses the entire world. Because for better or for worse, our country influences the entire world. And now that things are connected, young people, you may not realize this, but the things that y'all engage with on social media, that is something that we are having an influence on the world. People in other countries want to know what the American kids are doing, and sometimes they kind of look down on us for the, the way we act at times, right, and, and just the immaturity, but it's, seriously, there's an influence that is untold. And one main uh, person I want to read from, I, I will not read this little quote by Samuel Adams because it's just so wordy, but the gist of it, y'all have heard of Samuel Adams, he's considered the father of of the American Revolution in 1779, he made a statement that generally stated that really the, the true enemy of liberty or what would really be America's downfall, you guys remember this is in the middle of the Revolutionary War. It wasn't the common enemy, this, this force that they were fighting against in war. It was rather the principles and the morals that we would stand on. And that as these things would be dissolved, America would not want to fight for anything. And we would quickly turn our liberty over to either an external force or an internal force, whatever. It's the matter of the people themselves, what they are built on, the character that they're standing upon. And that's what needed to be preserved for the future. And it's easy to say, okay, well, I hear you say that, but you know, we've always had problems. People have always just, you know, nothing new under the sun, right? By last means of introduction, I want to read, if you can picture this in a French accent, Alexis de Tocqueville, 1831. He's a French statesman and historian, spent eight months traveling across America. So this is about 50 years after the founding of the nation. He was interviewing people from every walk of life that had just gone through a French revolution as well, which was very secular, very, you know, revolutionary, emancipating, you know, but again, very secular. When he returned back to France, he wrote this. Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more did I perceive the great political consequences resulting from this state of things, to which I was unaccustomed. In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom pursuing diametrically opposing directions. But in America, I found that they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country. 
He goes on to say, there is no country in the whole world in which the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America. And there can be no greater proof of its utility or, or the benefit and of its conformity to human nature than that its influence is most powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation of the earth. Religion in America takes no direct part in the government of society, but it must nevertheless be regarded as the foremost of political institutions of that country, for if it does not impart a taste of freedom, it facilitates the use of free institutions. I am certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. This opinion is not particular to a class of citizens or to a party, but it belongs to the whole nation and the whole rank of society. He said, the Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it's impossible to make them conceive of one without the other. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come to you today. God, we're sorry for our sin personally. We're sorry for our sin as a nation. God, we ask, Lord, this morning that you would move. God, this would start with us, that you would even open up our own heart, Lord. God, that we would desire to know you in a greater and deeper way. We are thankful for what you did, what you worked, God, in the hearts of people hundreds of years ago. God, all of this stemmed forth from the freedom that was opportune to us, Lord, because of a cross. God, a cross on a hillside, Golgotha. We thank you for that liberty. We thank you for the freedom that you purchased for us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, just to understand and appreciate all that we have been given in this country and today in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So I'll read that again, just the last piece, just to let it sink in. The Americans combine the notions of liberty and Christianity so intimately they cannot perceive of one without the other. So this morning when we think about liberty I want to really challenge you to, to think about this because this is another thing that I've heard, but you know, it just kind of gets lost in the noise at times. So often we don't even know really what liberty is. And back then it was so powerful, it was so important. Of course, you know, the Statue of Liberty, the Liberty Bell, it was such a theme, right, in the early days. But what is liberty? Even so in our speaking and, and as we go forward even today I'll probably use synonymously this idea of freedom and religion but there is a key difference between the two freedom is something that we have and there's a sense of permission that goes along with it liberty is something according to the declaration of independence as it's constructed inalienable rights it comes from our creator himself and it cannot be taken away Literally, the only way that someone can lose their liberty is if they, by their own actions, do something that would cause them to put themselves up for authority, checking other people's liberty and making sure that people stay in line. The sense of freedom itself is just kind of this idea, okay, that there's freedom, and so often we're told that we live in a democracy, and there's this idea of like, okay, well, everybody votes and everybody has to say that it's true, but it's not just common rule, common law. What Pastor Don was talking about, our founding is based on the Bible. This is actually a constitutional republic that we live in, and we are governed according to a document, a set of documents, really, Declaration of Independence and Constitution. And these things are largely biblical in their makeup. I will briefly say that just reading through some of the different source materials for 
kind of what had went on. Ben Franklin called the Continental Congress to pray as they were preparing to produce the Constitution. And in that speech, he quoted the Bible, like 50% of the things he was saying was from the Bible. And back then, you didn't have to say chapter and verse because people knew what you were talking about. Father of lights, oh, that's James 1.17, so on and so forth. And so it's just amazing how, you know, as time goes on and we, we drift as a society, things that if we don't teach, you know, just get totally lost. So liberty, there's something very important and valuable there to talk about. And I have four other quotes on liberty. I will not read all of them. I think you get the idea of the democracy and the, uh, the difference there between liberty. I will read this just as a, as a nod to the Second Amendment before we move to the meat of God's word. Ben Franklin, who I just mentioned, he noted that democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting that vote. I think that's well said. He's very known for being easily quotable. When it comes to liberty, when you come to the biblical text, there's really four ways you can look at what it means to have Christian liberty. And primarily we'll deal with a couple and really more so just Christian liberty as a whole. When you think about it, it's just really one of the four ways. But I want it to be noted this morning that, first of all, if you're taking notes on your bulletin, feel free to jot this down. Liberty is justification or to be freed from the penalty of sin by faith in Jesus Christ. So first of all, liberty is justification or to be freed from the penalty of sin by faith in Jesus Christ. This is, this is the basic salvation that we talk about, right? Instantaneous. You accept Christ, you are justified. That's liberty. Liberty is sanctification. To be freed from the power of sin in our daily life by daily faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of our character and our conduct. That is liberty. Thirdly, and we'll speak to this a little bit in the sense of liberty and some of the cultural things in the scripture. But liberty is being freed from the Jewish law of Moses in that the law only exposes sin in one's life and cannot actually forgive sin. And finally, and the, the bulk of the message will have this theme to it, liberty is the idea of us as Christians trying to make sure that we walk in a way that we don't offend or cause another brother who's weaker perhaps to stumble in their own walk by our actions. That is really the truest sense of what Christian liberty is. So this morning, and just the biblical point, Alex, if you'd put up James 1.25, I'm not going to read the verse, but I just love this picture. James is full of this, and we'll be studying James shortly. Pastor Larry's going to start a series at the end of the month. James 1.25. James so eloquently puts this picture of God's word as the law of liberty. The law of liberty. And it's one of the things that I think it's just so beautifully stated because when we think about law, if you can remember back to the Ten Commandments series that Pastor Larry did way back beginning of last year, 22, the law is something that so often feels constraining, but even the title of that sermon series, the guardrails 
right, for living for God. We have to have some sense of boundaries, right? We have some sense of, of direction and understanding. And when you come to God's word and you let it kind of have say over your life and let God, Jesus Christ, be the Lord of your life, then all of a sudden you're ex- understanding what this idea can mean, the law of liberty. Thank you. So this morning I want to, in prep for this, I read the entire book of Galatians. I would encourage you to do that as well. It's a fantastic letter. How many of you know at least the general gist of Galatians? I want to speak to it just for a moment. And those of you that are in Dove Camp didn't know you had a primer on this already. We've, this has been the, the core. We've been studying that and memorizing the fruit of the Spirit. There's a few cultural things when it comes to the Scripture and this topic that we have to talk about. One is circumcision. And I'll spend some more time later on food offered to idols. If you don't know what circumcision is, ladies, you can ask your husband when you get home. But circumcision was a big thing back in the day because... It was the sign of this covenant that Abraham and God, this outward sign of, okay, what does it mean to follow God? Okay, we're going to put a marking on it. We're going to make a physical sign. And now, right, on this side of the cross, we look and look back and say, okay, yeah, there's the physical sign. Okay, we know we saw this person got baptized. We see the fruit of their life. But there is no other physical sign. We know that you walk by faith, and then your life just flows out of that, right? Well, early on, this was a very, very difficult topic, right? The people that were following the Old Testament, they had it down, right? They had the law, they had the rules, they had everything set. And so when all of a sudden things started to change, even the church itself was exclusively Jewish for a while, And in Acts 15, that gets hammered out is, okay, what are we going to do? There's this group that was called the Judaizers that came along that said, no, you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Okay, that seems wild to us, right? But early on, they were really trying to figure this out. And so in Acts 15, there's this compromise that's given. Council sent and the, the pillars of the church that is uh, James and Peter, and they all come together, and Paul is in the middle of this, and what are we going to do? And the decision was given, okay, here's some important things. Don't eat food offered to idols, sexual immorality, flee from that. Beyond that, let's not, you know, major on the minors, follow Christ. But you notice how circumcision is not included in that. It's it's a huge kind of obvious omission. Alex, if you go ahead and put up Acts 16. Y'all notice I was just talking about Acts 15. This is the verses just following that, verses 1 through 5. Speaking of Paul, he also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple named Timothy was there, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews, the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. As they went through the towns, they passed on their decrees that had been decided on by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for Gentile believers to obey. To the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number every day. I mentioned to you this this letter that was written to the Galatians. We believe that the Galatian letter was written 
in the same general time period, probably just before the council that happened in the previous chapter because there's no mention of it. But this idea that we are free to follow God because of what he did for us. He set us free, right? It's not all the stuff that we do, right? It's not all the, the things that we would add to it. It's just faith that sets us free because of the purchase work on the cross. It's that simple. Now we look here, and I think it's amazing when you look at this verse, there's some nuance to it because you see something else in Galatians 2, 3. If you put up that verse, Alex. So Timothy was circumcised. Galatians 2, 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, although he was a Greek. Now, I will make this note that I had seen about Timothy, which was so interesting. These are two spiritual sons of Paul. Under Jewish law at that time, at least as soon as the, first, the, the second century, and perhaps even the first, he was considered, and any person was considered a Jew if his or her mother was Jewish. Okay, but with Timothy, at least with the father being Greek, it's not certain how this would have been handled because we don't have the exact records. But even so, if he was not circumcised, he probably would not have been considered Jewish. Why would it matter if someone as a Christian would be considered Jewish? You have to think about the influence in that day. As I begin to look into this, there's a couple of verses I want to read to you out of Paul's letter to Titus. We have two spiritual sons, Titus and Timothy. Some of us think we have it hard. Titus had it very, very difficult. Both of these men would go on to become pastors, bishops, kind of in their separate areas. Timothy wound up being in Ephesus. Y'all have heard of Ephesus, perhaps. In Revelation, we can see that's a very central hub to the church and as well to the letter of, of the Ephesians. Paul was there for three years. Well, Crete is an island that's not quite as central to things, and Titus was uh, commissioned to have this flock to be uh, his people. Titus 1 12 and 13 states this. This is Paul talking to Titus about his congregation and the, the Cretans are the people there in Crete. A certain one of them, in fact, one of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. In verse 13, Paul confirms, yes, such testimony is true. <laughs> For this reason, rebuke them sharply that they may be healthy in the faith. And when you look into it, the, the people there, there's a history of, of pirates there in Crete. There's all kind of history that had gone on the, the previous thousand years, but certainly the immediate history was you have maybe not literal pirates, but you know, grandpa was a pirate, that kind of thing. And that's the culture here on this island. And so I think God in his infinite wisdom, his providence, did not put it in the conscience of Titus to feel the need to get circumcised. And who would have known he would wind up pastoring a bunch of pirates where he's got to give some tough love. And I don't think they're really concerned about if he was circumcised or not, right? Not a concern. So there's this, this idea of the law, right? And I know a lot of us don't struggle with that, but this was a really big deal when it came to the early church. And how are we saved, right? And what's the role of the law? When Christ said he fulfilled the law, does that mean that it's done? No, but there's nuance as to how we apply the law to our lives. 
The main text I want to look at today, if you will bear with me, this is another cultural thing that seems foreign to us, but the food offered to idols, 1 Corinthians 8. If you just look at this single chapter, I think you can kind of get a really good picture of what's going on here, even though there's more text behind it. Chapters 9 and 10 also speak to it. Food offered to idols seems so foreign to us because just an idol in itself, you know, American Idol, perhaps some of you follow a certain athlete, you know, whatever, right? These, this is our concept of what an idol is now. We're not to idol, we're not to idolize anything. But back then, everyone had an individual God that they served. You have a God, I have a God, everybody's got a God, right? And there's little statues that people would offer and give sacrifices, right, and worship these pagan idols, well, when someone's saved and comes to faith in Christ, they're coming out of that, but the culture around them does not change. And you can imagine the, the stumbling block, the concern of what does it mean to follow Christ now, where everywhere you turn, the marketplace and this, that, and the other still has just this drenching, like everywhere you go, right? I don't know if you know what ubiquitous means, but I've heard it's kind of like McDonald's. It just seems like it's everywhere, right? And that's how the, that's how the idols were back then. They were not omnipresent, but it sure felt like it. Okay, so when it came to how to live as a Christian, and they just had the compromise in Acts 15, right? Don't, don't eat food offered to idols. That seems very straightforward. How many of you know that's not something we all follow now, right? It's not like a concern. And God, again, is infinite wisdom knew that. Sexual immorality, yes, flee from that. That's going to be a universal truth in the church. Food offered to idols, even just right here in 1 Corinthians 8, you begin to see some maneuvering on how that is handled. Again, Christian liberty. Would you read God's word with me? Verse 1 is so interesting. With regard to food sacrificed to idols, we know we all have knowledge. How many of you have knowledge about a particular thing? All right. If we were one-on-one, -on -one, we could talk about maybe the four or five things that just really you're passionate about. We all have knowledge, right? Well, catch this. This is so interesting. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Go back to that verse one more time, Alex, just real quick. Some of us are going to the fellowship conference next week, and it's called the Edify Conference. That's what this word means, to build up, right? You're building up one another. Okay, so, so think about that phrase as kind of like an outline for what we'll look at in this chapter. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Okay, can y'all keep that in your mind, knowledge and love? All right, let's go forward. Verse two. If someone thinks he knows something, he does not yet know to the degree that he needs to know. And verse 3 says, but if someone loves God, he is known by God. If someone loves God, he is known by God. These first three verses kind of serve as a bracket as you spring forward through the final 10 or so verses of this chapter. Because God's love is perfect, right? If you're familiar with the book to the Corinthians, Corinth churches, they may not all be pirates, but they've got a lot of issues. They've got tons of stuff going on in the church, and you can't even talk about what the theme of the Corinthian, certainly 1 Corinthians letter would be. I like to think of it as God allowed this church to get so messed up so we have so many good, fruitful teachings that Paul was correcting in the church because so many of them are applicable to us today. But we know that God's love in the love chapter right of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, is so rich, but all of this stems from his character, the cross, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have the love of God even before creation existed, right? We weren't needed for God to 
just to, to want to love someone, right? I'm so thankful that he wanted to, right, to create us and to love us, but God, even in himself, is love. Verse 4. Here's the knowledge, which is why we want to be careful how we talk about this. This is not a conceited knowledge in the sense of you and I we think of, but this is still really relatable for us. Four through six talks about the knowledge that he's talking about, about these food offered to idols. Verse four, with regard then to eating food, sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol in this world is nothing and that there is no God but one. If after all there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, you know, there are many gods and lords, many lords. Verse 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, from whom we live, for one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we live. There's this very simple Christian understanding of how we live and how we walk, and this is our knowledge, Right? These other things are things we don't have to really stress out and worry about because we are saved and we walk in the power of God Almighty. Let's look at verse 7. This is where we get into how it matters to, to walk in love. This knowledge, though, is not shared by all. And some, by being accustomed to idols in former times, eat this food as an idol sacrifice and their conscience because it is weak is defiled. Verse 8 says, now food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, no better if we do. Here's the text I threw up initially. Verse 9, but be careful that this liberty of yours does not become a hindrance to the weak. Just let that sit there for a minute. I didn't speak to it earlier, but I will now. You want to be careful in every walk of life. even speaking about the fourth in our country, and I know there are people that have been taught certain things or maybe have experienced certain things growing up and feel certain ways, and nothing I said here is untrue this morning, but you still want to be careful with how you speak about things in a way that you might cause a brother to stumble. So I know sometimes I may not be as direct as whatever, but I'm very aware that we all come from different you know, tracks on things, and there are some people that have been brought up and don't have certain knowledge and they feel very passionate. It can be ignorant, right? But they're still extremely passionate. And they're well-meaning. Some of, some of them are well-meaning. And so I just think with every aspect of our life, it's something that we should be, to be very careful how we speak on anything, right? This liberty of yours does not become a hindrance to the weak, right? Here in this immediate context, it's saying, don't just be carefree about what freedom you know you have in Christ, where there are some that are brand new to this and are really struggling to follow him. Maybe that idol that they were worshiping was a really intimate and serious part of their worship life. Maybe that was a real thing to them. Who knows what kind of, you know, we would say demonic activity, and they saw things happen, right? They saw whatever part of their life that was active, and now for just to walk back into that carefree is very hard, challenging, right? And so you want to be careful with how you steward whatever freedom you have that you're not just bowling over Somebody else, I think about our kids, James and Owen. Owen does not understand any of this whatsoever. He is strong-willed, right? But he's two, right? So as we get older, we're supposed to learn and grow. And this is probably one of the hardest things. This is definitely a very pastoral sermon. This is a, this is a challenging topic, right? And I will say, too, when it comes to youth ministry, 
um, when we first started Crazy Love and by Francis Chan and the book Radical were both very popular. And I remember the biggest teaching point out of those things is we're always looking for the line, right? Constantly it's like, well, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Based on some of the comments that I had made, I know McKenzie's not even in here, or McKenzie right here, I, I, I'm not going to be telling you, okay, as far as can't dress code and these kind of things, like, this is okay, that's not okay, right? I mean, like, there, there, there's things that we butt up with in the Christian walk. There's things that, like, someone may want to know, is this a sin? Well, what are they really getting at? Like, you think about that with the, with the way we live our lives and what we consume and whatever, right? So we always told them, don't look for the line of sin. If you're asking, is this a sin, you're asking a wrong question. You're to keep your eyes on Jesus, and all of a sudden, his character and his holiness will work this stuff out. If you have your eyes set on him, the question of how close can I get to sin, right? It's the wrong heart. And I know as you're young, these things seem very hard and challenging, but as you get older, it can still be that if we're not careful, we have to submit to God's lordship and seek what is somebody else's experience. Verse 10, because someone, if they're weak, see you possess knowledge. Dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience be strengthened to eat food offered to idols? Verse 11, so by your knowledge, get this, so by your knowledge, the weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed. Look, we all blow it. I blow it daily. Ask my wife. By your knowledge, the brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed. And so you want to be very careful with this liberty and the freedom that we've been given, knowing that we're told to live this thing out together, right? And maturity so often is not flexing our muscle of, you know, of how saved we are, right? And we can do this, that, and the other. It's very much different than that. Verse 12, if you sin against your brothers and sisters in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And if you want to know the line, like what is the line for Paul, check this verse out. He's not advocating being a vegetarian, Verse 13, for this reason, if food causes my brother or sister to sin, I will never eat meat again so that I may not cause one of them to sin. So it's clear, right? His intent in all this is saying, yeah, we just had that compromise in Acts 15. Don't eat food offered to idols. We have knowledge. It's fine. You can do that. Hold on. If it's going to cause someone to sin, I will never. He's not saying touch meat offered to idols. He says meat, <laughs> right? If it's going to cause someone to sin, then just throw it out. That's how serious he's taking that. It reminds me of Jesus saying, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better to go to heaven with one hand, right? You get the exaggeration there. It's better to go to heaven with one hand than to burn in hell with two. And so I just want you to understand the liberty that we're dealing with in Christ. It's a big deal, but there's, especially on this part of Christian liberty, there's so much nuance to it. And if you'll just give me a couple minutes, I want to speak to one more thing when it comes to liberty in the service. And it's interesting the way things went this morning. I'm very thankful 
for y'all being here and get to pray for y'all. That's not something that was planned by any stretch. When it comes to liberty and service, so often we think about, of course, we have very Pentecostal doctrine here. You know, free, free to worship, free, free, to, free to worship. There's a verse, and if you want, uh, Alex, we're not putting up all those verses. If you would put up 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. If you want verses on Christian liberty, read Romans, read Galatians, even Peter has some good stuff. Last time I, in February, preached on the firm foundation, I stopped right before the Christian liberty verses. So, lots of good stuff. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. Pastor Dub Carricker preached last year this time on this verse and on the freedom that we have. When it comes to a worship service, so often we think of that as, you know, you're free to worship. And then potentially where your background is, you're like, go crazy, right? Like, that's, that's the, your thought process. Well, there should be balance in the way you think about liberty, right, when it comes to the order and the worship of a service. When you say, when you say you're, you're worshiping God, I think thinking about this is really a good help for not only this balance of order, but also boldness, because I struggled with the boldness piece of it for years before coming here and being under Pastor Don's teaching and understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was like, well, God wants me to have that. Then he'll just, you know, hit me on the head. And... But for me as, as a guy, and some guys struggle with this, I just struggled with audibly worshiping God. Like that was my own personal struggle. The verse I want you to throw up, Alex, regarding this is 1 Corinthians 14, 32. This is my last verse. Indeed, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. You probably heard me quote that on some level if we talked to any length of time about speaking in tongues. The spirit of prophet is subject to the prophet. When studying this thing, it was it's so interesting that I had never really realized the scripture said Paul spoke in tongues more than, I'm so thankful I speak in tongues more than you all. I'd rather have, you know, very few words in English than tons of words in tongues. But him saying, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all. It's just so interesting because we never read in Acts that he spoke in tongues or, or what have you. But it was definitely a part of his life. But for us as well, there's a liberty in understanding this verse. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. Because we have liberty, but it comes within these idea of the law of liberty, the guardrails, right? We just know that things are done decently in order. The grand context of chapter 14 is order in the church. And so we're given specific rules on how to do that, and this church does not struggle with that by any stretch. But sometimes, too, it can be something where we just, the way we're brought up, we think that, I've heard it said about sin the devil made me do it, right? Have y'all heard that about sin? So often when it comes to even the way we express ourselves in a Pentecostal church or whatever, it's like, okay, well, God made me do it, right? God does draw us, in, and to get caught up in the presence of God is a beautiful thing, but that's not a standard style of worship either, right? Now, again, I struggle with the boldness piece of it. Just to even open my mouth and say, praise God, was not gonna happen for the longest time, right? It wasn't until I was probably, how old was I, 20, 21 when I first came here? Even then, I wasn't probably saying hallelujah too much, right? That was Brother Morris. So it was just one of those things where that was a big struggle for me. And so, okay, okay I'm going to worship God and then let things just kind of flow from that. That was a beautiful understanding to know that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. I heard it put this way. God is the God of order. Holy Spirit is a gentleman. There's always going to be room in the service for it. A tongue's message is going to come in the middle of the sermon, Right? Now, if it's false teaching and the tongue message is like, nope, this is wrong, then, you know, so be it. But, like, again, that's a very specific, systematic approach to how you handle those kind of things. 
And so for us, I think so often we just kind of let these things drift because we don't know. And this simple verse, I think, is a huge teaching. Praise him if you would come forward. This morning, they're going to be singing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. I think with the way things get taught about America, sometimes things are so heavy just because of the obvious notions of slavery and these kind of things as if it was an American thing by itself. Um, but the cool thing about this song is originally the original American backdrop and really goes back to England amazing grace John Newton himself and I'm sure I had heard this I actually heard it Friday night we were at a all night prayer meeting that this was sung and the pastor said this about John Newton that he owned slaves but his own life was so radically transformed that he fought on the abolition side of that movement now he died before he got to see all that would happen he died early in the 1700 something. But it was something he wrote as evidence of a life transformed. And this morning, I don't know if you have that story yourself. If you do, I'd like for you just to reflect on that for a few minutes. But if a lot of this stuff just seems totally foreign to you, know that you have a Savior, you have God Almighty who created everything, has all the power in the world, and knows you by name, and has known you from the foundation of the world. And don't worry, he knows all of it. And he loves you anyway. He loves you so much that he said, they need me. And they have no way to accomplish that. They have no way to get to me. There's no way they can access a holy God. So I know what I'll do. I'll put a plan in place. We have that plan in God's word. In essence, you would get to a point where God himself says, I will come and live that life that they ought to have lived, would have been nice, right? If Adam had said, no, nah, I'm not going to eat that fruit. I trust you, Lord. And we all had just come along and been, you know, perfectly obedient. That'd be great, right? But we've all fallen short. And he knew that. And he said, I will, I will live that life. I will die. All these sacrifices, the idols, and we know in the Old Testament there were plenty of sacrifices that went forth. He said, no, 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 no. I will be the sacrifice. I'm the only one that can do that. I'm fully God and fully man, and I can bridge that gap. I can be the one that makes this all be at even. Even playing field. Free gift. Simple. If you say, yes, God, I believe that. I believe that you would do that for me. then you are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Your chains on your life 
will just fall off. Like Paul and Silas in that prison, you will be set free. And because Jesus Christ lives today, because he did not stay in that grave, you can walk in liberty in true, actual, abundant life. And it's not too late. If you have breath in your body, then there's a shot. And every person is just given that amazing potential of just being born into this image of God that we all carry. But we have to say yes to him. So this morning, the altar is open. If you have not said yes to Jesus, this is a great spot to do that. I know you can make an altar in your heart. I did that as a seven-year-old. But how many of you know a lot of the things we talked about today are challenging. It takes some boldness. If you're going to walk this out, you're going to need some boldness anyway. So if you want to say yes to Jesus, I encourage you to come and make it clear. Would you worship God this morning in spirit and truth? Feel free to stand and worship. It's up to you how you worship this morning. Just know the altar is open.
Are there any special needs? I want you to know this morning that as you celebrate and you go forward this week, we have so much to be grateful for. Things may not be perfect. It may not be everything we, we wish it could or ought to be, but still even today we have so much to be thankful for. I pray that you would just continue to worship this morning, that you would continue to fellowship one to another. If there's no needs, then, you know, praise God. I'll officially dismiss us, but if you would just carry on, make sure you say hello to Armad and Jeremiah and Josiah. We love y'all. I'm so thankful y'all could be here this morning. Y'all have a beautiful Sunday.